Welcome to episode number 189 of CXO Talk. I'm Michael Krigsman, and what an interesting show we have today. We're talking with Sharon Fetter, who is the chief digital officer for Rachel Ray, and Rachel Ray's business, you could say holding company, Watch Entertainment. And I'm so thrilled because today we have a guest host, guest host, or guest hostess, Jessica Gottlieb. Jessica, let's start with you. How are you? I'm very good. How are you? I'm doing great. And thanks so much for, for joining us today. Uh, and of course, Sharon Fetter from Rachel Ray. How are you? Doing really well. Thanks for having me today. Well, this is really awesome. Uh, Sharon, why not Start jump in and start telling us about Rachel Ray and Watch Entertainment and what do you guys do? Sure. So at Rachel Ray, I work for um, our holding company, Watch Entertainment, uh, which manages Rachel's businesses, um, 12 businesses across three major buckets, media manufacturing and philanthropy. And uh, those businesses span uh, TV, magazines, books, uh, our amazing uh, event, our music and food event, Feedback, which is hitting 10 years uh, in Austin this March. Uh, we have our cookware, our uh, now furniture launching uh, this this coming month uh, nationally. Uh, we have our um, pantry items uh, and uh, in addition, our uh, pet food, Nutrish. Uh, and then we work very hard on things that are near and dear to Rachel's heart, um, our philanthropy. And so we have a nonprofit called Yemo, uh, which is focused on eliminating hunger and obesity in children and also funds programming for when those kids grow up so they can get an education in the culinary arts um, at the community college level. Um, and also we work hand in hand with rescues across the country uh, to fund rescue efforts uh, for cats and dogs. Um, and that is a mechanism with our uh, pet food where a percentage of Rachel's proceeds um, then go to organizations like ASPCA, North Shore Animal League, Best Friends Animal Society, et cetera. Um, and we work really closely with them to make sure that core needs are being met. Uh, so I've been in this role for about three years, and I'll give you some quick background on me in case you're interested. Um, so I work here with our team and our partners. Um, partnership is a huge part of the way we do business. Um, we were partnered with uh, large corporations like Meredith, who produce our magazine or CBS distribution television uh, for our daytime show, um, or Food Network, for example. Um, but we also work with a lot of um, family-owned businesses, which are really important to us. Uh, like Ainsworth, which produces our pet food. Um, those partnerships um, are true partnership. They're true collaboration. We sit on calls with them probably multiple times a week. Um, and Rachel is incredibly involved in that process creatively. Um, and, you know, I think one of the misconceptions of a brand like ours is uh, that we are celebrity licensing. And that's exactly what we're not. Um, we are all about creating things that add value to our community's lives um, and really work very hard to ensure that that value is there, um, both innovation in product, um, accessibility and price point, um, and authenticity, um, you know, in Rachel's, in Rachel's name. Uh, 
So my background is that I come from the startup and publishing world. Um, I was one of the early uh, employees at Mashable, um, and I helped build that company over the course of five years, uh, eventually becoming COO uh, before I came here. I'm also a startup advisor. Um, I still advise organizations like Mashable, The Muse, Bitpark, um, and philanthropy is incredibly important to me. Over the years at Mashable, um, I uh, worked with the United Nations Foundation um, as well as the 92nd Street Y to build programs like the Social Goods Summit, uh, as well as Giving Tuesday, which I still advise. Um, wow. Those are the kinds of things that still um, are incredibly important to me um, and are really interesting because we do so much in the space here at Rachel Ray. Wow. Uh, Jessica, Sharon certainly has a lot that is going on. <laughs> she, her resume fascinates me. And we had talked about this briefly a little bit earlier is um, the, the CDO chief digital officer title is not, it doesn't roll off the tongue like CEO. And um, it means a lot of different things at a lot of different organizations. So when you walk into the role as CDO, how do you even define it? And what's the difference between digital and the rest of the company, or is there a difference? Yeah, um, you know, I think in so much of where we are in the industry and where so many industries are is everything touches digital. And so there's so much that I work on that is not necessarily a digital first business, but we think about, you know, how can I come in and lend value and think about um, building out business there or supporting through digital or thinking about audience differently? Um, you had mentioned the CDO role is maybe different here than in other places. Um, I think, you know, the chief digital officer role is in a lot of ways transitional. So, you know, it's coming into business and thinking about how do we make it um, digital and whether that's business intelligence, um, you know, the transformation of efficiencies in business and, you know, utilizing um, digital tools for collaboration and building out digital businesses, whether that's in publishing or data um, there's there's so many variations of things that can be accomplished in this world and in this role um, with a lens of digital. Um, but I think, you know, as organizations become more and more optimized and efficient in the digital world and have sort of built it into their DNA, um, this is not necessarily a long-term uh, title, though there are pieces of this that I believe are going to be baked into other people's titles. And that's, you know, hopefully having more and more CEOs, COOs, CMOs, um, as well as the CIO, of course, who, who sort of like can take responsibility for these kinds of things that need to be core to businesses. I've heard other people say that the CDO role may be a temporary role, but, the, but you mentioned earlier, everything touches digital. And so in an organization like yours, can you define what does that mean? When you say everything touches digital, tell us what does that mean in practice? Yeah, I think we think about um, how our brand is perceived, um, how people connect with it. So, for example, you know, if I want to buy a set of pots and pans, I may go and research it. And what am I going to find when I Google? Um, if I want to find a recipe um, unless I'm going out and buying a book, which I might buy online, um, I'm going to go to a website to get it, probably through my mobile device. Um, you know, and there, there's so many touch points for the brand um, that are digitally focused. And we have to think about how we 
connect with those consumers, connect with that, those audiences, um, and continue to make their journey with us a really good one um, and continue to find reasons for them to interact with us as a brand and grow with us. So for example, you know, I think about the expansion of our own brand. You know, we, you know, started out um, with Rachel's cooking shows and, you know, her pots and pans and her books. And now we've expanded into um, our furniture collection, Rachel Ray Home. Uh, There is maybe a different interaction point when you're shopping for furniture or when you're looking for inspiration for your home um, than when you are looking for a recipe. Um, and so we have to think about, you know, continuing to develop our audience, continuing to answer their questions and address customer service, um, you know, all in new ways. Uh, and, and for us, you know, there's this other side of our brand that's incredibly interesting that I'd mentioned earlier, which is feedback. We have a music and food festival, which is Rachel's passion um, in Austin every year, and we're approaching our 10th year. And so we think about, well, how do we continue to build our brand in a really consistent way? And you know, build experiences that are amazing in, in food and in, you know, your home. Um, but also when you're thinking about going to a concert and listening to music and, and what does that mean? So I think I lost track of the initial question, but I think that gives you a sense. Let me ask you this then. Um, so you're kind of balancing a whole bunch of different stuff. You have a lot of masters to feed here. And when I look at Rachel and I'm like, I just have to admit, I'm like a complete fangirl. So I'm not even going to pretend like, like I'm not, um, you have these cookbooks that so many of us bought that just normalize dinners instead of making them either something that came from a can or, you know, something that Julia Child was like, you know, swilling wine and like chopping onions on TV, right? So all of a sudden there's a cookbook by someone like me for someone like me. So, and that's a very, very old media. Fast forward a bunch of years. Now you're launching a a furniture company um, where digital is going to be part of the very beginning of it. So how do you take your day-to-day work and go, okay, so I'm going to take this furniture company and imbue it with digital from the very beginning. And meanwhile, kind of drag these books into the digital realm with us too. And how do we, you know, transfer this? So like how many generations are you dealing with of companies, of people, I think that's a really incredible thing that there's there's such a variety of um, stories to tell and points of interaction. Um, you know, one of the things that I think is so fun is that, you know, when Rachel puts her heart into a book, we have various ways of telling the story of, well, this is her journey in Italy. You know, this is her favorite recipe. And we can can share that in so many ways online to drive awareness um, and her fan base becomes so excited about being able to interact with that. Um, you know, I think as we think about furniture, you know, it's really interesting. There's, we're, we're about to relaunch um, some of our digital assets or our websites. Um, and we're thinking about furniture. Furniture is a really big part of that. How, how do we visually tell the story of furniture? And how do we connect people to, to what it means to her? Um, because she's a person and she's designed this and there are these very personal stories. Um, One of the things that we did in sort of anticipation of that is think about, well, what are the, what are the cool new things that we can do 
um, that are accessible to people, you know, that, that our audiences can come along on this journey with us because they have been with us in buying the books, in watching the videos, in tuning into her daytime show, buying the magazine. And we want them to continue on this journey um, because they're, they're at the core of what we do. Uh, and so we actually had a townhouse um, designed with her new lines and we created a 3D model of it so that our you know, community could go explore with us. Um, and that's actually something that we're going to be launching in a few weeks that we're really excited about um, because it really allows you to see and interact with the pieces, um, but doesn't require you to have a VR headset. You know, it doesn't require you to, to, to own the Oculus, you know? Um, so, so these are the kinds of things we think about. You know, we, we don't want to leave these, these older pieces of our brand necessarily behind because they're still a huge part of who we are. Um, and I'd add that, you know, I think, one of the things that I still love is I, I still love having my books at home. Um, I still love being able to show off the brands that, that I'm really passionate about um, in a physical way. Um, and I can see that, you know, a very large part of our communities feel the same way. How do you, you, you spoke about stories and telling the story and bringing the audience with you. How do you tell a story that is, compelling in this way as you're describing. I mean, you guys are the consummate storytellers. Yeah. You know, I think that it is one of the things I think that's really wonderful is, you know, we're not making this stuff up. It's originating from a real life person. Um, And, you know, we have collected over many years, these stories that continue to be a part of our storytelling but we're adding to it based on, you know, new things that are happening in her world, new um, creative journeys. Um, you know, in storytelling, I think one of the things that's really excited, exciting is, um, you know, I, I said I'd have some things for show and tell. We have our magazine um, and we can tell the stories here utilizing paper. And that's a really enjoyable experience. But then we also have something new like Facebook Live. And, you know, we think about how do we engage our audiences and tell them stories and invite them into our home um, utilizing this new, really, really shiny thing. Um, and so one of the examples I love is what our daytime show is doing. Uh, we have two of our show cooks, uh, Grant and Jeanette, are filming Facebook Lives multiple times a week um, where they're, you know, telling stories of working with Rachel, um, telling stories of, you know, their personal favorite um, recipes and they're cooking live for this audience. And again, like I said, bringing them along in the journey and and engaging them and asking them to participate, whether by asking them to help pick out the recipe or asking them, um, you know, for their feedback as they're cooking um, to say, like, you know, I think one of my favorite um, examples was, you know, we're baking a pie, blueberries or raspberries. And it's such a simple question, but people were really passionate and they wanted their voices heard. And so, um, you know, those those viewers were able to participate um, with our brand as a whole by by participating in that Facebook Live with the show. Jessica, any questions? So many questions. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm like I've been sitting she's, here she's taking like notes. T- taking notes and tweeting. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, I did do a little tweeting because I can't believe that I'm in on this discussion. Um, Facebook Live is so interesting and so new. And so you're, you know, you have the distinct advantage of being Rachel Ray 
that you, but Rachel does. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm <laughs> not quite there. But... <laughs> so you work closely together, but the uh, but there's still this separation. You're not Rachel. She's totally Ray. best friends, but um, but so how does a, how does a company without or a startup even since you advise startups uh, use these same tools? I mean we all have essentially the same toolkit, right? She has probably more tech support and the the name recognition, but what do you do if you don't have the name recognition? How do we recreate this in our own companies? Yeah. So, you know, I think with regard to the new shiny things, I think one of the things that's really excited about exciting about the new shiny things is that many of them are really accessible. Like Facebook live, you could get on right now and start recording. Um, it's really about experimenting to figure out, you know, how does this work for you? Because you may try to replicate Grant and Jeanette, but you might not have any cooking skills and you might not get very far. (laughs) Um, So, so I think there are a number of ways to do this. I I think that, you know, there's seeing the best practices in the industry. This is what we do. Um, This is what our partners do. Um, And what many of the companies that, that I speak with regularly do, you know, it's, it's following not just the fact that there is this feature launch, um, or product launch, but but who's doing it right? Um, and what are they doing that makes it right? And how can you adapt that and learn from that in your own offering? Uh, so, you know, one of the things that I was just watching, um, I was fascinated, fascinated by John Steinberg's uh, new launch, Cheddar. And they've set up shop, I believe in Flatiron, where they're recording these Facebook Lives um, and they have like street performers performing. They have CEOs coming in for interviews. And it looks like a very, very established setup. Um, but I'm looking at that, you know, you're sort of looking at, well, why is this working? What, what is interesting about it? And similarly, if we look at our own setup, what's interesting about it? And there's certain things that work. So like at a base level, as a viewer, what's interesting to me? Well, the lighting works, the sound works. And, you know, it's funny because Michael is actually the pro at all of this. <laughs> Um, you do this multiple times a week. Uh, you know, there's lighting, there's the sound, there's the video quality, you know, getting those basics right. But then there's the programming. So what am I actually going to do on this Facebook live? That's going to make people not want to turn off. Um, you know, and, and that's like, you just can't bore people. Like, and this is like anything in business. Like you have to give them something of value that will be interesting. And I think that it's about figuring out what you as a startup or a brand do that, that can engage and can add value versus just doing it for the sake of doing it. And that doesn't mean that you can't mess up. Of course you can mess up and you can experiment. Um, but I think you want to be thoughtful because as, as a business or as a startup, um, no matter how many people work at a company, you only have so much time. Um, you can only devote so much resource. Um, and so I think really worth trying, but putting the time into figuring out, you know, what is it you do really well and how to execute on it um, in a way that that sort of meets the acceptable standard for the industry. You, you hit just an imp- what I thought was a very important point, which is, yes, you can't bore your audience. You have to make sure that all the technical stuff is in place yeah. and working right. But you also have to know what are you trying to achieve? So you're not just doing things for the sake of, of effect, but you're doing something that actually adds to the audience experience. Yeah. That seems like a Maybe very... Yeah. 
No, thank you. Um, I think, you know, if we're to look at, you know, Facebook Live as an example, but if we take a look at Instagram stories, I think this is the perfect example. Like Snapchat has now been around for a while and brands have experimented, but there have been a lot of brands that have held back from Snapchat for any variety of reasons. One of which is they already have so many social networks to populate. There's only so much they can do. And so to have Instagram stories pop up, and that's a whole other conversation, but to have Instagram stories pop up um, in a place where they've already devoted the time and resource, um, where they already have a following became such an opportunity and continues to be an opportunity. So it's interesting to now see, you know, this, this Snapchat-like environment and brands starting to experiment um, because it really is still pretty early. And so now I'm looking at, well, what is Whole Foods doing? What is Food 52 doing? You know, what, um, what are all these brands doing? And, and what is this going to become? Um, because, you know, I think what we see now is not necessarily what we're going to continue to see over the coming months. I think we're going to start to see some really interesting, creative things. Um, and we're going to start to see some innovation there. Um, and I think this is the time when brands and startups can jump in and, and really figure things out. Um, and better to do this now than maybe, maybe later once there are so many brands doing it that it's harder to get noticed. So you came from Mashable, which I would argue is a very bleeding edge company or was certainly mm -hmm. at the time that you were there. Um, and to, they're doing some very, very cool things. Right now. Okay. Um, I, I'm not as current on it now as I yeah. was then. And I don't know. I just, maybe I just have a short attention span, but um, <laughs> yeah, entirely likely. Um, but Rachel Ray is more thought leader and cutting edge as opposed to, you know, first in. And so is there a, is there a sense that you have to pull back and behave more like a brand than like a startup at the same time that you're launching a company? Like, is there a push and pull there for you on a personal level? There's a mix. You know, I think there's a lot more calculated decisions about where we start early. So I think the example I gave earlier about Snapchat at Mashable, Mashable was very early to Snapchat. They were on Discover. They are on Discover. Um, you know, they've clearly put resource there. Whereas for us, strategically, it just doesn't make the same kind of sense for us to put the investment in, you know, a, a network that is so, so young. Um, when we really have so much strategically that we currently have to build on Instagram, Facebook, Pinterest, et cetera. Um, and I love Snapchat and our, our team loves Snapchat. Um, mm -hmm. But we look at Snapchat differently, which is to say, you know, I think there's a time and a place currently in our, in our portfolio um, and with regard to the work that I do for Snapchat. And so when we have our music and food event feedback, we make Snapchat filters because it makes total sense that we have, you know, young millennials at our events who are avid Snapchat users utilizing that. But we sort of say, okay, well, the rest of the year, it doesn't make as much sense for us to try to be as innovative there um, because we're really working to do that in other areas where our communities and the communities that we want to attract currently live. And so examples of that become, well, food video. We live in a food vertical um, and our partners do incredible work there. Uh, so some of the stuff that I'm really proud of what our brand is doing is um, our, our daytime show 
team is producing some really cool video um, in the space um, that is on the Rachel Ray Show Facebook page. Um, they also do some great work on Instagram and you know, a lot of that, like they're experimenting with stop motion. And I think it's so cool um, and really fun. And that's what, that's what our audience wants. They want to not just learn new things, but they want to have fun. They want to be entertained. Um, some other stuff that I think is really, you know, again, really cool and really fun. Um, but, but again, very strategic for our brand is that um, our partners and our brand new Trish um, have done this incredible hysterical um, video series with BuzzFeed. And it's been so fun to watch this series evolve because it's, uh, you know, on YouTube and you have, um, these, these people who don't love cats is the first episode living with cats for a week. Oh. And <laughs> I, I watched it and I just thought this is really, really funny. And I love that yeah. the kind of storytelling our brand is doing because it really ties to the things we feel so strongly about. You know, we, we do love, we love cats. We love cat owners. We are a part of that community, but this video series also has ties to animal rescue, animal adoption. Um, and that's a huge part of what we believe in. Uh, so, you know, these are the kinds of things that we've been experimenting with. Um, and, and you could tell, you know, again, you know, we're not, we're not doing, um, the I'm jumping first to the new technology and I want to try it for the sake of trying it. Um, but we are doing a lot of new stuff that's really cool um, that I think our team is really proud of and our community is really enjoying. So this how do you decide? Oh, oh. No, no, please, Jessica, go ahead. How do, you just, how do you make the decision that you're going to partner with BuzzFeed for that as opposed to, you know, any of the other places? And yeah. how, 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 how do those partnerships evolve? Yeah, so I think, um, you know, we, uh, we work with, Ainsworth and the team over there, and they have a fantastic agency partner in Moxie, and together they do incredible work. And so, you know, I think that these decisions are largely, you know, researched and calculated and, you know, really understand um, not just what's happening in the industry, um, but also sort of how we target the audiences we want to be in front of to ultimately get results for the business. And then do you do all of your measurement in-house or do you kind of subscribe to a million different things that, you know, is measuring yeah. what does and doesn't work? Because that's the magic, right? Yeah. I, you know, I think it really varies from business to business. And I think especially because we're in different industries, um, mm -hmm. you know, it really varies from industry to industry. And so what we have is some of our partners subscribing to similar research, but, you know, the, the amount of research that is subscribed to um, is there's a lot. And it's, it's amazing and it's fascinating. I think, you know, one of the things that's so interesting about this brand is that we do live in these different industries and overall are experiencing, you know, much like every other business, this period of time where there's so much innovation, there's so much happening. Um, and, you know, the social media landscape, the web landscape, digital landscape, whatever we want to call it is, is constantly evolving. And so, you know, sort of looking at all those things and, and how, how we as a business continue to build and grow and evolve and do things that add value to the lives of our uh, consumers and audience. I want to remind everybody that you are watching episode number 189. Oh, wow. uh, You've been busy. <laughs> I've been really busy. I'm like busy yeah. all the time. <laughs> this is like, 
I am, I am really busy, but so are you guys. Um, but I want to remind everybody that we're watching, you're watching episode 189 of CXO Talk. And we're speaking with Sharon Fetter, who is the chief digital officer for Rachel Ray. And my guest co-host today is Jessica Gottlieb. Uh, so Sharon, I know that partnerships are very important to you and the work that you do. And so can you tell us about those partnerships and how do you use partnerships to amplify and extend your own brand building efforts? Yeah, so I promise I wasn't getting distracted. I was just looking at tweets. Um, <laughs> so, so partnerships, you know, we, we have these incredible partnerships that um, allow us to build these businesses together. Um, and, you know, to take a step back, you know, I'm a big believer in partnership, um, you know, whether it's um, business development in, you know, the context of doing a one-off um, program that adds value to your community, or if it's a longer term endeavor. And, you know, at Mashable, I did this um, by creating syndication relationships and working with other publishers. Um, and here it's, it's in a very, a variety of different capacities. So it's our business partners who we run businesses with, but also, um, you know, trying out and testing different kinds of relationships. And, you know, across all of my experience, one of the things I've really enjoyed is sort of learning about, um, what makes for a successful partnership. And, you know, here we've spent so much time sort of thinking through the businesses we want to be in, um, you know, really thinking through, you know, for example, furniture, you know, Rachel's wanted to be in furniture for a long time. She loves design. And, you know, we didn't just go to market and say, okay, we're doing this tomorrow. We spent years on, this is what furniture is going to look like. And so, um, you know, I think our approach to partnership is really um, strategic and calculated and thinking through, you know, what do we want this to look like and, and who are the players in the space? So largely, um, you know, thinking very proactively about what it is we want to build, um, you know, and understanding the landscape before we, before we get to the point of, and this is who we're partnering with. Um, and, you know, in all of my experiences, I think the thing both with short-term and long-term partnership is, you know, really understanding sort of the value that everybody brings to the table, really sort of over communicating and, and thinking through, you know, how do we make this what we want it to be? Um, and, and it's been really nice, you know, my, my partners in our businesses are our coworkers effectively, um, you know, and friends. Uh, and, you know, we've, we've created things that um, I think are really, really incredible together. And so, you know, I think for us, um, it's a very specific thing that, that we've done. Um, wondering, wondering where you'd like me to go with this, Michael. <laughs> uh, well, I think there's a number of different places. Uh, so what are the, you mentioned that the partnerships are, they're really colleagues and they're friends, they're coworkers. And so how do you, how do you decide where you're, with which partners are you going to invest this time and these resources? Yeah. Well, I think for my team specifically, it really varies from partner to partner. So for example, it may be the case that we are devoting a greatest percentage of our time to new business um, to ensure its success. So for example, my team is heavily focused on um, Rachel Ray Homeless right now. Um, and it's been really fun because, you know, our team is very focused on digital, but has gotten to learn all about this new industry. 
um, and had spent time, you know, in photo shoots thinking about not just how we get things like social media assets, um, but how we help to sort of bring some of that, that social DNA and that digital DNA into the architecture of things that are going to exist in print. So, you know, how do we take our, our lifestyle shots and our photography and ensure that everything is effectively digitally friendly um, and, and really sort of um, educate across the board so that, you know, our partners feel, feel armed and feel confident um, you know, and their ability to continue to build the business digitally as well. Um, and I think, you know, across our business, much like other businesses, there are some areas of our brand that have incredible digital talent, um, you know, who really um, are doing amazing work in the space. And so, you know, for example, um, our pet food brand um, has people on their team who run these incredible campaigns in the influencer and advocacy space. And, you know, while we wish we could put, put more time in there. They don't really need us. <laughs> um, and so, you know, it's, it's fun to be able to collaborate when we can. Um, but they, they certainly have, um, have a good deal of expertise and, and are doing really cool work. When you set up these digital teams or when you walk in and there are digital teams that are kind of set up for you, do you, is there like a Bible that's created about, you know, here's the message, here's the tone, here's what you can do and say on your own personal timelines or. Yeah. There's, I think that's something that's really been created over time. Um, <laughs> and, you know, for us, that level of um, consistency is really important. I think one of the things that, you know, um, we had talked about um, earlier was, you know, what does branding look like here? And, you know, with so many different brands, what does it mean to have these variations in brand? And I think it's really interesting because, you know, whether in our physical products or in our digital sphere, um, you know, there is one Rachel Ray um, and there's one brand and there's consistency there, but each of our businesses has its own personality and there are variations. And so what's really important to us is that there's consistency um, when we think about the larger brand image, image um, and things that are incredibly important to us. But um, each of our businesses shines with variations on that brand. So it's uh, so it's very focused on on the specific brand. We have about uh, ten minutes or so left, and getting back to a point that Jessica brought up earlier, what advice do you have to, to companies who are younger companies that are trying to build their brand, but they may not have, but they don't have the benefit of, of, a, of a major TV personality behind them? How do you build a brand? And what, yeah. are, the, what, and what are the elements, I guess, what are the elements of, of building that brand? I think so much of it starts with what's your value proposition. You know, I think that at the end of the day, a business has to have a service or a good that is important to solving a person's problem. Um, and, and I think it's about identifying what is that differentiator? What is the value that you're providing? And ultimately, who is the target audience that you're targeting? And I think one of the challenges that I often see um, startups are faced with is, well, who is my audience? Let's go as wide as possible. And I think that, that that is possibly a very big mistake because 
um, especially as you start out, one of the opportunities um, and benefits, especially if you're sort of targeting audiences digitally, um, especially on social, is to sort of figure things out by talking directly to audience, um, by A-B testing. Um, and, and based on that early um, group of people sort of figuring out what the next step is. Um, and I think that's so cool to be able to say, like, we're going to try this thing. We're going to target this audience. Um, we're going to see what they think of us. And then we're going to build upon that. Um, and I think that that can be incremental. Um, but it's, it's really cool because I, I look at, for example, Facebook, where I'm targeted by all these startups um, and I have a home <laughs> and I, you know, I look at what I'm being targeted for in my home. And I think it's really interesting because a few years ago, you know, we didn't have these, these startups who were focused on, you know, like providing you with, you know, your, your mattress, like Casper um, or any of the many other competitors that there are in the space. Um, and clearly they've grown significantly, um, but it's really fun to see them, um, you know, succeeding by figuring out who their audience is, what the message is, um, and, and how they market and tell their stories. Um, and there have been a couple of campaigns that specifically I've seen them do that have, that have been so interesting that you see the reporting on it. You see people talking about it um, because they've sort of figured things out over time. Um, and so for, for many startups, I think it's really important to know that you, like, you're not going to hit it out of the park you know, in the first 30 days, you know, it sort of takes time to figure out like, who is the audience? You know, what do they want? And then how do we build upon that audience and ultimately drive sales? You're talking about um, like when you talk about a Casper or, you know, all of the, every startup that I hear from is the Uber for, you know, whatever. It's the Uber for yeah. car washes. It's the Uber for dog grooming, whatever. Um, but so, you know, not every business wants to be disruptive. Oh, yeah. You know, that's yeah. integral. Um, and so how do we take what we know and continue building on it? Does, does the CDO role kind of complement marketing or operations? Or where, do you, think, where, where does that fit? I think a little bit of both. Um, and I think it really depends on, on the organization itself. Um, and, you know, I don't think digital first startups need CDOs um, that, no. you know, <laughs> that they, they are CDOs, they, they are CDOs. <laughs> um, but yes, you're right. Not everyone needs to be transformational. Um, you know, I think that um, the CDO role can, can support both in different ways. I think it largely depends on the needs of the organization. Um, mm -hmm. For example, here we've talked about tools for collaboration. We've talked about, you know, the cloud. We've talked about, you know, how we create efficiencies in the work that we do. Um, but we've also talked about influencer marketing and, you know, how we, how we reach more people in our storytelling and what that storytelling looks like and how our style is consistent. Um, you know, so I think largely because of the kind of brand I'm in, um, I get to do both of those things. Um, but not everybody is in a lifestyle brand. Okay, you know what, though? Here's what's interesting. Um, the Social Good Conference, mm -hmm. you know, was, was your baby, right? It was and, actually um, my husband and Pete's baby, but that's, that's a story. Yeah. 
it's your husband. You can take credit for yeah. it. Don't worry. <laughs> Uh, he said it's cool, but so that's, that's, that's under your time and tenure there. And then, um, so you have that. And then you also have Rachel Ray, which immediately, as soon as I told my friends that I, that I was going to be co-hosting this, their question was, how do I get under the umbrella? How do I get into Yamo? How does my dog rescue benefit from this? And everybody knows, and it's really interesting that you have two companies that you've been part of that have this altruistic bent to them. And we know that millennials really like cause marketing, but we also have more examples of cause marketing gone bad than good because it can be... Um, profoundly offensive when it's done wrong um yeah. and it can be beautiful a thing of beauty when it's done right and empowering and, and benefit everybody on every side so can you talk a little bit about how we step into this space without stepping on it yeah no i think it's really important and you, you hit on something really crucial which is you have younger um audiences of millennials who who make decisions based on where corporations spend their money um, philanthropically. And, you know, not that that should be the one signal that drives a corporation to do good, um, but, but it's really important. It's important for the future of their businesses. And so I think there's a very clear distinction here, and you pointed it out very well, which is there are the organizations that do good because it's marketing and they feel they need to do it. Um, and then there are organizations, and maybe that's maybe they really care, but the execution um, is not spot on. Um, and then there are organizations that that care deeply, and there's authenticity in what they do, um, and they have deep roots, and they make sure to plant deep roots so that there is future giving and future impact. And I think that's really important. I think the authenticity here is is incredibly important, and for us, it's a huge part of what we do. Um, we are really talking, you know, with these organizations, making sure that nationally we're creating a footprint that matches the people who are buying our products, reading our magazine, watching our TV shows, um, and, and having impact in their communities and thinking through not just that, but what are the causes that we're affecting? How is that happening? You know, there's a lot of thought and planning that goes into this. Um, and I think more organizations really do need to think through what is the thing I can do here? Why is it important that I do this? And what is the impact I'm going to have? And I, I see this so much. Um, one of the things that I love is organizations that not only make commitments in their local communities, but really empower their workforces to participate. And it's something we see a lot on Giving Tuesday, which is, you know, can these organizations um, make their employees feel a part of this? What um, is Giving Tuesday? Oh, let's take a step back. So Giving <laughs> Tuesday is um, an incredible day uh, started by Henry Timms, who is the head of the 92nd Street Y in New York. Um, and he is a British guy who uh, lives in the U.S., obviously. And he looked at, um, you know, you have Thanksgiving um, and then you have, um, you know, Black Friday and Cyber Monday. And Black Friday and Cyber Monday kind of have it figured out, right? Like all these retailers have come together despite the competition and they are, you know, making bank. Um, 
Well, <laughs> there's more to that story, but they're making bank. Let's leave it there. I, For me, they I, are. Yeah. <laughs> um, I support. There is a sense there. Uh, but, but anyhow, they figured out this structure, right? And, and that's yeah. the important part. And we, we call you know, the holidays, the giving season, um, which is for the most part true, but, but there's no structure there. And so what, what Henry and the team at 92nd Street Y and UN Foundation and many others sort of set out to do was, can we create this, this structure that not only empowers people and makes them feel part of their communities and allows them to give back, but also helps nonprofits who, you know, especially when this was founded a few years ago, were struggling to figure out you know, how they continue to grow in a digital era, how they communicate um, with their publics. Um, and so what the set out to do is empower both. And what we did was we set up um, local events, we set up, you know, webinars online and meetups to um, gather together organizers. And it became a grassroots effort that started out in the U.S. and is now global. And so what we were able to show is year over year, we were creating a very significant increase in giving. Um, which again has a really nice impact in the community. And so as a part of this, what you had was organizations big and small stepping up and making commitments. And that commitment really didn't end on Giving Tuesday, which is again, the Tuesday after Thanksgiving, it continued throughout the month. And so it became the opening day to the giving season. And so this is again, this November, um, we're going to November, December, maybe <laughs> a little embarrassed to have that date in front of me. Um, oh. <laughs> the Tuesday after Thanksgiving, uh, 2016, um, it's happening. And, you know, what it represents is an opportunity for both nonprofits, corporations, um, you know, cities get involved um, and, and really families and people to say, you know, here's a commitment I'm going to make. And not only am I going to make it, um, I'm going to talk about it. Um, there's this reality that, you know, when we think about philanthropy, you know, I think about maybe older wealthy people who, who give away lots of money and have lots of money to give. And I think what we're doing here is we're sort of opening up the conversation to say, well, no, you can be philanthropic. You can give whatever you can. And maybe that's not even money. Maybe that's volunteering. Maybe that's just helping somebody. Um, but let's, let's talk about it. Um, let's talk about it online. Let's talk about it on social um, to encourage other people to replicate this behavior as well. Okay, and with that, we are about out of time for this episode of CXO Talk. What, an, what a fascinating conversation. We've been talking with Sharon Fetter, who is the Chief Digital Officer at Rachel Ray, and my guest co-host today has been Jessica Gottlieb. So, Sharon and Jessica, thank you both so much for participating today in CXO Talk. Thank you. Thank you. And we didn't talk too much about puppies, but a little bit. Oh, yeah. I missed that one. <laughs> I guess I owe you one, Internet. I'll share a picture. All right. All right. So, pup so puppies are coming. And yes. you have been watching episode number 189 of CXO Talk. Thank you so much. This Friday, we'll be talking with the CIO of Coop Italia, which is the largest supermarket chain in Italy. And we'll be talking about digital transformation. Thank you so much, everybody, and have a great day. Bye-bye.